Welcome to Belfast City Vineyard, where we are pursuing formation in the presence of Jesus, community gathered around Him, and the impact He empowers us to bring in our families, city, and the world. The following message was given at one of our Sunday services. For more information, visit our website at BelfastCityVineyard.com. Good morning. This is not part of the talk. I'm, my, my, my vision is going between short and far-sighted, so I've been sitting here the last five minutes going, do I use my glasses to speak? Do I not use them to speak? Because I can either see you or I can see my notes. So I hope you don't mind. I'm going to choose to see my notes. I'm just trusting you're out there. If you want to go get stuff, I'm not going to notice, so I'll put them on every now and then just to, you know, just to check. Uh, all right. Well, uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Gunter. If we haven't met before, uh, I've also, like Sarah, I've, I've been I've been around for a bit. I'm part of the pastoral care team here at the church. Um, I was trying to think what are the things I've shared with you over the years. I'm not sure if this is one I've shared with you, which is that one of the things that we love in my family is movies. Uh, so my wife, my daughter, and I. So much so, in fact, that, that there are now various movie quotes that have become standard part of our conversations in the house. Don't know if that ever happens in your house. Um, I love it that our daughter actually now frequently uses lines from movies that she's never even seen before. And we also each have a theme tune for when we enter the room. Uh, <laughs> my wife, Ruth, hers is the uh, Darth Vader march from Star Wars. <laughs> This is awesome. She's not here. She's in England this morning, I, or today. I can say anything I want. <clears throat> Please don't tell her this is on YouTube. It's online, yeah. <laughs> uh, my, my theme tune, I don't know what this is, is the, the theme song from Jaws. Um, our daughter, Sally Joy, doesn't have one yet, but we're just taking our time because the theme song is for life. So, you know, we're working on it. And uh, one of the I just, I love movies, I love reading about them behind the scenes, and one of the things that I've, I've really found intriguing about uh, movies over the years is how they tell the story. They often tell it from a certain character's perspective. There's almost at least just one character or maybe a group of characters that were essentially invited, sometimes very obviously, sometimes more subliminally, to identify with, to kind of see things from their point of view, and that's, that's actually our way into to the story. That's how we kind of emotionally identify with it. And today, as we continue our series on the Gospel of Mark, and we get to Mark chapter 6, I'd, I'd like to take that a, a approach with our passage today. I'd like to, to view it through the lens or through the point of view of a particular group of, of people, in this instance, Jesus' disciples. Partly just because it's a passage we all probably know quite well. It's the feeding of the 5,000. I'm sure we've read it or heard it quite a few times before. Uh, so just be nice to take a fresh look at it. But also, because I think this passage really is very much written that way. It invites us to, to look at it from the disciples' point of view. As you read it, um, you, never, you know there's 5,000 people there, but you never really get to see their thoughts or their reactions. Uh, and while Jesus himself is, of course, a central character, you don't really get much insight in this instance into what he's thinking. Instead, it's, it's through the disciples. It's through their reactions, through their responses to Jesus, to everything that's happening, that we get pulled in. 
and invited to essentially experience what it must have been like to be there, but also simultaneously kind of ask ourselves, well, what would we have done? What would our response have been? And then maybe even think about the implications for us here now, today. So, so that's what we're going to do. That's the approach we'll take. And in honor of the whole movie motif, I've split the passage into three scenes. So, you ready? Scene one. The apostles gathered around Jesus, and they reported to him all that they'd done and taught. Now, you may recall last week when, when Andy was teaching, Jesus has just sent out the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, to, to go and tell people about and to demonstrate the good news, that the kingdom of God is at hand to Jesus, which is, of course, what Jesus himself has been doing since, since the start of Mark's gospel, what's, it's what Mark's gospel is all about. And, and we saw last week that it was incredible they went out and people came to faith and demons were cast out and the sick were healed. And it's, it's all things they had already experienced with Jesus, but it's the first time that they've gone out and they've done it. And so, you know, I'm sure while they were away, they would have just loved to have, like, FaceTime Jesus or, you know, had a WhatsApp group where they could just tell him everything that's happening. But, of course, they can't. Uh, and so now, now that they're back, they finally get to tell him everything. They've been dying to feed back to, them, to him. And they must be so excited. Now, Mark doesn't tell us exactly what they said, but I imagine it went something like this. Now, be warned, this is very theological. It was awesome! <laughs> I think. And then they would have just dived into a mile-a-minute account of everything what they said, said, what they did, where they went, how people responded, the people that were healed, the lives that were transformed. And, and they must have such a buzz. Because, you know, this is powerful. This is meaningful stuff that they're getting to do. And now they finally get to come back and share everything that happened with the one who sent them, the one who empowered them. And they must be so ready to just, just kind of go out and do it all over again. You know, maybe this time with Jesus. Here's what Jesus says, though. Because so many people were coming and going, they didn't even have a chance to eat. So he said to them, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, get some rest. Which is nice, but it must have also been at least a little bit deflating, you know. Okay, I guess we could just go and hang, or we could go and do some ministry. But not for the first time. Jesus is modeling something really, really healthy. To them, which is, of course, rest. The importance of physical, spiritual, emotional, mental rest in every way from whatever it is that we feel God has put in us to do. And we saw it way back at the very start of Mark's gospel. This is kind of laced throughout the gospel. We saw it in Mark 1. Jesus has just called uh, the first four disciples, which is Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Very good. Um, and he's spending the night at Peter and Andrew's house, and uh, he ends up praying all night for people, healing them. And the first thing he does the next morning is he gets up early just to go and be by himself and just, just to spend some time praying. A couple of chapters later in Mark chapter 3, He's had another day of busy, uh, very, very busy day of crowds, of teaching, of healing, also facing lots of opposition, and he takes time away just to be, just to be with his friends, his disciples. And then here in Mark 6, we see it again, this, this rhythm of rest. Uh, so even the Son of God, the busiest, 
the most important, perhaps the most supernaturally self-sufficient person in the entire universe needs rest. So do his 12 apostles, and so do we. Now, I will freely confess, I'm not very good at it. Maybe you can identify. Uh, I, just, I just seem to be wired to do, to keep busy, which is great for being productive, but not so great when it comes to things like balance and you know, being refreshed and peace and so on. Just recently, though, God, God's really been speaking to me on this. It only took 47 years. Um, and I've, I've, started, I've started doing some, th- for me, quite outrageous things, really. For example, I've started going to the movies, sitting in the dark for a couple hours, not doing a thing, eating popcorn, if that counts. Uh, I've started finding time, ways in, in my week, and especially in my work day, to just create a bit more space, just a couple of more margins. And often using those, just have a few moments alone with God, or maybe alone with my own thoughts, or both. A couple of weekends ago, I was looking at my to-do list. I'm sure we all have one of all the stuff I want to do in my house. And then the sun started shining. And I looked at the sun, and I looked at the to-do list. And then I looked at the sun, and I looked at the to-do list. I put the to-do list down, which was a real act of will. I, went, I grabbed a book, a novel, not a theology book. That was the second act of will. And I just went outside, and I lay down, and I read, which is something I love to do, but I, I rarely do. If you, if you find that you struggle with this, if you, if you struggle with taking time to genuinely rest and to be replenished, be that physically or emotionally or mentally or spiritually or some combination of all those, could I invite you to, to take on the way of Jesus, which I know it sounds an awful lot like I'm asking you to do one more thing, but it's actually it's quite the opposite. Jesus invites us to do less, to let some things go, to pause, to have margins, and to just rest and be so we can go again. So that's, that's scene one in which Jesus, the busiest person in the universe, shows us the importance of rest. Scene two. So, they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran, at, uh, ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So when Jesus landed and he saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began teaching them many things. I think the disciples would have started just getting into the spirit of this whole resting thing. You know, hanging out with Jesus. The adrenaline's kind of started to wash away. The stories are all told. They're out in the water together, something that must have just been like home for them. A lot of them were fishermen, you know, just being out in the water. They're starting to chill. And they're thinking to themselves, do you know what? This, this was such a good idea. Good job, Jesus. This is what we needed, some rest, some downtime. So if I were them right now, I'd actually be feeling quite grumpy. As Jesus begins to teach the crowds. Because, you know, that's not why they came. Sure, an hour ago would have been a fine. An hour ago they would have been excited to, to go and do some more, more ministry. But, but now they, they've moved on, you know. They've, they've unwound. They're relaxing like Jesus told them to. They also kind of have realized we really haven't eaten yet. 
uh, and it's getting late. But I just love Jesus' reaction, though. Yes, he has healthy, a healthy rhythm of rest in his life, and he's got healthy boundaries, but he's also interruptible. He's able to have his plans changed. It's something that, that uh, Aidan actually highlighted just two weeks ago when we were in Mark chapter 5. Jesus is on his way to one place to heal somebody, but then on the way, someone else interrupts him, and he allows himself to be. And he allows himself to be present with them and to, to serve them. And the thing that, that really just strikes me about this, about his, his interruptibility, in both passages, Mark 5 and, and in Mark 6, is that it's, he's clearly not motivated by duty, like it's something he has to do. He's not motivated by approval. He's not afraid of what people would think if he doesn't. But he's motivated by compassion. We see it here in verse 34. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And being a sheep without a shepherd is a very common uh, biblical metaphor for when the people of Israel had no king, they had no leader. Now clearly, they do have a king at this time. They've got King Herod. But as Andy showed us last week, he's no leader. He's off in his palace somewhere, having drunken parties, flirting, beheading prophets. He's, he's just a puppet king anyway for the Roman Empire. And they're, so they're thirsty. They're thirsty for, for real leadership for a real king, for direction, for purpose. And Jesus sees their need. He's moved by it, and out of compassion, he responds. And I'm just so challenged by that. I want to be like that. Not to earn brownie points. I just genuinely want to be like that. I want to be interruptible. I want to be able to, to have my plans changed not out of duty, not to be liked, but because I just find Jesus' compassion, and that's where his interruptibility comes from. I find that so compelling. I find that so uh, moving. And if that, if that resonates with you as well, let's, let's resolve today, shall we, not to just go out and say, yes, we will be more interruptible, because it's not going to work, is it? Um, it'll, all be, it'll be about us and our energy and our works and our strength, and it'll just quickly lead to exhaustion and burnout and guilt. But instead, let's resolve to come to the one whose compassion has so compelled us, whose compassion has so moved us. Let's come to Jesus and ask him to fill us again, or maybe for the first time, with his compassion for us and for others. So that's scene two, in which the compassion of Jesus makes him interruptible. And then finally, we get to scene three, which, as in all good stories, is also the climax of the passage. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Send the people away so they can go and get something. You know, go to the surrounding countryside and the villages and buy themselves something to eat, which is a very sensible suggestion. But he answered, you give them something to eat. Do you know when you're speaking to somebody that you respect, you know, someone you look up to, and everything is going great, but then out of nowhere, they say something so left field, you just don't know what to do. 
It's like having a brilliant boss who, you know, one minute they're talking strategy and purpose, and then out of nowhere, they very seriously want to discuss cat deodorants. Or, I don't know, <laughs> turtle jumpers. What, what do you do with that? You know, what do you, what do you say? Well, they all look at each other, I guess. Peter looks at Andrew. Andrew looks at James. James looks at John. Someone's going to have to say something. Whoever it is, with all the tact that they can summon, they said to him, that would take more than a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? Well, surely he's just distracted. You know, the crowds, all the teaching, it's probably hot. Uh, he hasn't eaten yet. If they can just kind of slow things down, gently point out the obvious, he'll, he'll see how crazy his question was. But oh no. In fact, he says, well, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. <laughs> can you just imagine their faces? How many loaves do we have? For 5,000 people? They weren't laughing. I'm laughing. They wouldn't have been laughing. I mean, this is warring territory. You know, this is sunstroke territory. But I guess it's Jesus, right? They have to at least take a look or pretend to look before giving him the obviously bad news. Doesn't take long. You know, do a little huddle, come back, and when they found out, they said, well, five. Oh, and two fish, just to show they really did check. <laughs> Which, you know, that should be the end of it, right? You know, surely now Jesus will just kind of pop out of his little bubble that he was in and, and just see what a, what a crazy line of thought this was and just kind of send everybody on their way, as is obviously the thing that should be done. Nope, he doubles down. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they did. They sat in groups of hundreds, of fifties, taking the five loaves and the two fish. Looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish amongst them all. They all ate and they were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000, meaning, of course, that the total number of people there that day, not just men, was a lot more. Wow. <laughs> what an incredible event. Jesus truly is, as Mark puts it in the very first verse of his gospel. Mark 1, verse 1, he is the Messiah. He is the Son of God, the one for whom all things are possible. God himself coming into this world, meeting every need, making all the broken things new. It is just incredible. And this, this passage and the ones around it, you know, they excite me. They excite me to, to ask him for and to expect Jesus to do more great things here and now. I also really have sympathy for the disciples. You know, for their confusion, for their disbelief before things turned out the way they did turn out. I mean, yes, they, they've seen Jesus do a lot already. You know, they have. They've seen him heal the sick and cast out demons and, and show mercy. They themselves have gone out and done those things, so they know power. But this is just uncharted territory. It never crossed their minds that this is what Jesus would do here today. As it will be. Sometimes for us, 
circumstances will just feel so unprecedented. Obstacles do just look so insurmountable. And we also have the added complication, I think, that they haven't quite yet come up against. They will in the future, but they haven't yet, of disappointment. You know, when things didn't work out in the past, when the, the miracle didn't happen. A couple of weeks ago, I was uh, at a get-together for our, our preaching team who'd been teaching through the Gospel of Mark on Sundays. And it was a fantastic night of, of discussion uh, and just catching up and also praying for each other and for the church. And, and one of the questions that, that Andy had sent out in advance for us to talk about was, as we look ahead in Mark's Gospel, what passages do we find challenging? And I shared that night that there, there are several well-known passages coming up. We haven't got there yet, but they're coming soon, of where Jesus heals blind people. Now, my daughter is blind. She's been blind from birth. She's 13 now. We've prayed for her a lot. A bunch of people have, and she still can't see. I totally understand, and I genuinely believe, the theology that we hold dear to here at the vineyard of the already and the not yet. That the kingdom of God is here now already, breaking in through Jesus, and it's not yet fully here. And as we live in that in-between time, there's a tussle between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of God until Jesus returns, and then he makes everything fully and finally new. And I, you know, I totally get that. I believe it. I've taught it. Somehow, though, this time, just, just reading ahead in Mark's gospel and seeing these passages, it just, it just quite unexpectedly brought that question up in me again of, you know, that's fine, I get it, but why not her? Why is she not being healed? What do we do with that? What do we do when our, our past disappointment which is entirely legitimate, or just the seemingly insurmountable nature of what it is that we're facing in the, in the unprecedented circumstances we find ourselves in leaves us feeling overwhelmed or confused or hurt or filled with doubt. For, for me, it's, 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 a, it's a few things. One is being honest. Honest with myself and honest with, with Jesus about how I really feel. Uh, about my frustration, about my hurts, about my doubts. He can handle it. In fact, more than that, he welcomes it. Why? Jesus is our Lord and Savior. He has a lot of things, but he's also our friend. And what, what, what do we do in friendship? <laughs> we tell the truth, and we get to share the load. And that person gets to comfort us and speak truth to us. And that is so much better than, you know, living under the horrible weight of, of trying to pretend that everything's just Okay. We really don't want to be that church where you have to pretend everything's okay. That's the first thing. Another thing I've just found pivotal, and I know this is, sounds like what I'm supposed to say, but it is. It just is. is community. Um, being around people who I can share those things with and who can speak words of encouragement and truth to me, who can pray for me, and sometimes they can just be, be there. They don't have to say anything. The moment you get to share stuff and know there's people with you who are for you, and they just, they don't know what to say, but they're there with you. It's huge. It changes everything. 
And that's, that's what, you know, the preaching team provided for me that night, as well as other uh, trusted friends that I've, I've shared with. Um, for you, you might find it's your life group or another person or group of people inside church or outside of it. But we need people, including other followers of Jesus, people who can remind us, who can point us to him, who can pray for us. And then finally for me, this may be the hardest one, is choosing to trust Jesus anyway. Based on everything else, I rehearsed this talk a bunch, never cried. (laughs) So please forgive me. Based on everything else we know about him, I love it that when Jesus asks the disciples to, to gather people into groups, they still have no idea what's going on. You know, he's just ratcheted up the craziness. What is he up to? But they do what he asks based on everything else they know about him, everything else they've seen so far about him. And the same thing then when he starts handing out the food to distribute. Seriously, how far can five loaves of bread, no matter how big, they could be tiger loaves, I don't know, and two fishes possibly go? They must have been absolutely panicking. But they did it as a pure act of trust. Despite what I haven't yet seen and the things I am still longing for, I choose to trust Jesus anyway. Because in the midst of my confusion, my hurt, my doubt, and I have all those and a bunch more, I also know from personal experience, as well as from everything the scripture shows me, he is good. And he is powerful. And whether uh, now... or tomorrow, or one day. He will make all the broken things new. And so we doubt, we do, we fear, we hurt. But I also choose to press in and hope and trust and ask and contend. Do you have miracles that you've been hoping for, you've been longing for, you've been praying for, and you haven't yet seen them happen? Can I encourage you? And I'm encouraging because, you know, these are the things I've talked about. I realize probably a bunch of us are already doing these, and that's fantastic. But can can I encourage you to be honest with yourself and with Jesus about your frustration about your hurt, allow him to meet you. Allow him to speak with you. Allow him to be with you in that place of honesty. Not trying to somehow fool him and yourself. Can I encourage you to seek community? Other people that you can, you can share with, who can speak comfort, can speak truth to you, can pray for you, or can just be there for you. And can I encourage you to choose, in the midst of the mystery and the discomfort, to trust Jesus anyway, to keep pressing in, based on everything else you already know about him, that you've seen, you've experienced of his goodness and of his power as the Messiah, the Son of God. I believe that as as we do, there will continue to be setbacks. 
There will continue to be doubts, challenges, heartache. I also believe that we will see miracles. We will see the kingdom of God advance. And in both the lows and the highs, we'll also have the greatest gift of all, which is the presence, the company, the affection of the King of Kings and of each other. Can I invite you to stand, please? Uh, I'd, I'd love to pray for us. Before we do, let's just, just take a sec, shall we? Um, covered a lot of ground. Just give our brains a bit of a chance to catch up. And also just allow God a bit of space to come and speak to each of us personally about that, what we've covered, or, or anything he wants to. So Holy Spirit, we welcome you here now. Lord, we thank you for everything you've, you've drawn our attention to about rest, about being interruptible through compassion, about you know, trusting in you and your goodness and power. Would you just come and speak to us now individually? What is it that you want to press into with us, with me, with each person here? About those things or... It could be something completely different. But would you come and speak? Come meet with us. Lord, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for your goodness. Uh, one of the things I felt God just mentioned to me this morning is there might be a couple of us here today, you're really struggling with a relationship in your life that feels like it's fallen apart and can't be resolved, and you just don't know what to do. And if that's you, we'd, we'd love to pray with you today. Um, also, if you'd like prayer for any of the things you mentioned about, about rest and about you know, compassion and being interruptible, we'd love to do that at the end. Or anything else. The cool thing is God can multitask. He can talk to you and me. So there's other stuff. Fantastic. I just really felt this one thing I really want to pray for us this morning and then we'll We'll finish, and like I say, you can come up and get prayer. Um, I really felt that, that God wants to invite us today, or, or Jesus wants, us, wants to invite us today to consider that he is worthy of, our, of his trust. You know, we, uh, I think that's why we're here. I, I, I'm realistic. We all came with sort of you know, different levels of enthusiasm today. That's cool. I come with different levels of enthusiasm every week. But fundamentally, we're here for something, for someone. We want to be able to put our trust in him. And there's just an awful lot that sometimes kind of gets in the way. So um, I'd love to pray for that. Jesus, thank you first and foremost that you love us. Uh, I love that line from the song this morning. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. I'll put my trust in you alone. 
Thank you for your love. It compels us. It's why we're here. And Lord, where uh, disappointment has rubbed us of hope, uh, made us grumpy, made us lower our expectations, whatever the case may be, Lord, we just want to be first and foremost honest with you. So if you've not had the chance to do so, I would just encourage you to take the next minute and just tell him what you think, what you feel. Even if you're really angry, he can take it. He will not disappoint or, dare I say, surprise him. So, Lord, we just want to share with you honestly what's going on, where disappointment has really knocked us back. And Holy Spirit, as we even just continue to figure out what that means, would you come and meet us now? Just come rush in. Come meet us. Assure us of your love, of your affection, of your goodness. Thank you that even now, Lord, even though that's a journey, I think, for a bunch of us to take away and dialogue with him more, even now, there's a shift. You can feel it. Because you've allowed yourself to be honest, and he's meeting you there. Um, I also think, you know, yeah, Lord, we're, we're, we're distractions. Uh, I think we sang about that this morning. It was a very good worship set. We sang about distractions and false idols and things that kind of make themselves more important than you. Lord, where that, that false narrative has been sold to us, that there's something better around every corner, which we keep discovering is untrue, and then we go around the next corner. Lord, right now, would you just show us how good you are? How worthy of our trust you are? You really are the King of Kings. Would you stir our hearts again for you? And Lord, just for those of us who are not quite sure what we believe, we're here, but we just don't know what we think. Um, Would you help us just for a second put our, our arguments and thoughts to the side? And they're good, and we'll come back to them. But right now, I just feel like if that's you, God is he's touching you uh, in a very deep way, which doesn't mean your, 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 your um, intellectual arguments, pro and con God and so on, are unimportant. But just right now, I just feel like he's really meeting with you in a deep way. So, Lord, would you increase your presence now? that we would just know that we know that's you. And we can flesh out the details, details later. But just thank you for how you're making yourself real. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.